You're listening to ReachMDXM233, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, your host, and with me today is Pam Faden, Senior Editor of Hesperian Foundation. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you, Maurice, for having us on. Today we're going to be discussing a best-selling book that is published by Hesperian Foundation. Supposedly over 3 million copies have been sold of Where There Is No Doctor, a Village Healthcare Handbook. Could you tell me a little bit about this book? Yes, Maureen. It was first published over 30 years ago in 1977. The first edition came out in Spanish, and it came out in response to the author's experience living for a short while in a very remote village in Mexico and realizing that people there had no health center and no trained healthcare personnel. And because he was a high school biology teacher, villagers came to him for help with health care problems, medical emergencies and health care problems. He realized, number one, he wasn't prepared to do that, but it was off of that experience that he came back to the U.S. and worked with trained health care professionals, including medical doctors, to produce a book that is the book that you talked about, Where There Is No Doctor. This book is written for people with low literacy levels, so it is highly illustrated and tries to use very direct and simple language to talk about common health problems as well as healthcare emergencies and how people can distinguish between the two and know when it is appropriate to try and get to the nearest health clinic, health center, or trained healthcare person. Other than the patient themselves and their family, who else might use this book? Well, this book is in fact used often by people who are village leaders, teachers, shopkeepers, pharmacists, because these are the folks that tend to take a lot of responsibility for the life of their communities, wherever their communities are. I know often here in the world of public health, often call these folks the key informants. Who's the person in the community you know uh, when you go out into any community? Who's the person who's trying to do some of the organizing to make sure that there's a stop sign to ensure that cars aren't running over our kids when they're riding their trikes across the street? And that's the kind of person who ends up using this book, a person who just steps forward and says, wow, I need to solve my own problem or a family member's problem, but then I can look at this and say, I can also become a resource for someone else. We actually have someone on our board who, who is a trained physician who many, many years ago was sent on a missionary, on a medical missionary trip to Guatemala and was there providing health care. And actually, she'd been there for a few days the villagers brought her a copy of this book, and that's how she was introduced to the book. They had, they kept it all wrapped in oilcloth in a very, in a very safe place, and they brought it out whenever they thought there was somebody who could help them use it. How did the Hesperian Foundation get started? Well, it got started from the experience of David Werner in, in Mexico, and seeing the need for a kind of book that would provide basic health care information to people, regardless of what their education and geographic and economic background is. Have you seen that there might be a use of this book in the United States with our changing population? We absolutely do. Uh, For one, if for no other reason, then we have increasing numbers of people who, because of our health care structure, are not necessarily having access to trained health care personnel. How many times are we hearing about people who are using the emergency room as their primary care facility? And we know that our public emergency rooms are not capable of providing that kind of care. This book is being used on Indian reservations throughout this country in rural areas, as well as by people in the cities. It's used by 
students as well as trained healthcare people. Because our books are available on our website, and I don't know if you want to tell people where it's easy enough to find our Sure, website. please. Why don't you tell us? How, how would we get your book? You'd find it by going to www.hesperian, H is in Harry, E, S is in Samuel, P is in Peter, E-R-I-A-N.org, hesperian.org. And you'll see a place where you can access every one of our books on the web. If you want to, you can download entire books onto your computer and print them out section by section or piece by piece. This is one of the ways that they've become available to people throughout our country, but as well throughout the world, because more and more people are having access to computers and to the World Wide Web. You've waived your copyright protections under those conditions. We do. We say to people we are very happy for people to download, reprint, translate, and in any way use the materials as long as they are not making money off of it, as long as they're not trying to then sell it and charge other people money for a book that they're just taking advantage of. And we think that health care is a basic human right, and we think it's a right for all people. So we want to try and get the information out broadly with the belief that when people are better informed about their own self-care, then they are better able to advocate for themselves and for others and to understand and distinguish when they need to find that trained healthcare professional. Uh, I know Hesperian Foundation has taken a lead position in an organization called People's Health Movement. Could you tell me a little bit about that? People's Health Movement is an international network of healthcare providers and community organizations that are committed to, to seeing healthcare as a human right for all people. So it includes people working in all parts of the world. We take an active part in it because we believe, as I say, that healthcare is a basic human right and it's a human right that that not all people do have. Um, we do believe in the Alma-Ata Declaration of 1978 um, that came out of an international conference on primary healthcare that did affirm that good health is more than just about access to medical care, but it also looks at some of the social and economic and political determinants of health. And I think all of our medical providers here in this country are more and more understanding the interplay of all of these issues in people's health care. So we advocate, for instance, through the People's Health Movement for access to birth control and full information about sex education and safer sex. Sometimes that puts us at odds with some of the policies of our own government, the United States government, which might make funding of healthcare clinics here in the U.S. as well as healthcare programs internationally. They will sometimes, our government is limiting those funds if people are providing, for instance, information about use of condoms. And we believe that it's very important to offer people the alternatives. We don't necessarily advocate them, but we think it is best to offer the breadth of alternatives on every health issue and give people both the risks and the benefits of each possible choice so that then they are better informed to make their own choice. And, Maury, I'm betting that you and and your audience of physicians are saying people are more likely to change their behavior when they understand why they should do so. All of our theories of health education about behavioral change tell us that people comply better 
when they understand why it's important for their well-being. You touched on an interesting point. Does people's health movement do anything as far as lobbying to change the U.S. government's health policies? Yes, we do, but we join with people all over the world in doing so. Again, when UNICEF funding was about to be changed a number of years ago, we were part of a huge campaign to write to the headquarters of UNICEF, and it was partly based on U.S. funding. Again, it was about sex education for young people in primary and secondary schools throughout the world. And again, it was going to be restricting funding um, based on the ABC program. And I think healthcare practitioners have seen, um, both in this country and throughout the world, that abstinence is not the only successful strategy. And in fact, um, all of the education that we've done in schools in this country show that all of the education that we give kids about abstinence does not mean that that young people are going to abstain from sexual activity. But we do believe very much in in a harm reduction approach to primary health care. So that is where our advocacy comes in. It also comes in on the issue, I mean, Again, we, we, we do a lot, lot of lobbying and campaigning and working along with other um, organizations throughout the world to, to try and support efforts through the United Nations, through WHO, et cetera, that, and try to urge our government to be broad-minded in our approach to funding of health care programs, both here and internationally. You know, I went through your book. I found it very, very enlightening. I found it very helpful. Your most recent edition is 2006, and that's the one that I have sitting next to me. In it, you also discuss family planning, and you mention all the methods of family planning, including things that would give us a very low level of preventing STIs. My question is, why even mention the options such as rhythm system as a form of birth control when it is so dangerous as far as, uh, so dangerous as, far as spreading STIs? Then if you go backwards to look at some of the other information about STIs, you will note that we we say very clearly that the rhythm method, for instance, will not protect you from sexually transmitted infections and in particular certainly not AIDS. Why do we include it? Because according to many people's traditional beliefs and their spiritual beliefs, for many people there is no other option. And we think it's important for women to know what their options are if they are choosing not to have children or would like to have that choice within their realm of cultural and religious beliefs. We also do make it very clear that there is a difference between what will protect you from a sexually transmitted infection and what will not. We're actually right now, Maury, working on a, uh, we're about to send the next updated reprint of Where There Is No Doctor to Press. Actually, in this next month, it will be going to press. And there's more information that's included. This book, again, I'll have to say, it was written 30 years ago. What it really needs is is a substantial revision to bring it into the 21st century and really address things like HIV, which did not exist 30 years ago or certainly were not understood by the healthcare professions. And we need to change that. Uh, We have also a book on HIV, which was written by two physicians that are active internationally as well as domestically in the world of care for people with HIV in the communities, and we're working on a revision of that book as well, that is, again, trying to address what options people have. When we look at huge numbers of people, both in this country and around the world, who have 
very little choice when it comes to whether you can say no to having sex or not. Um, as much as we like to think that women have choice in this country, women often do not have choice, and that is certainly true in other countries around the world. And so if those things are the reality, then we need to try and say, from whatever place you are starting, what are the ways that you can try to take as much care, have as much choice, and be as safe as possible. You would certainly agree that the education of women elevates the level of health care in every country. Yeah, we would. I want to thank Pam Faden, senior editor of Hesperian Foundation, the publisher of the best-selling book, Where There Is No Doctor, a Village Healthcare Handbook. I am Dr. Maurice Pickard. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.